Squares Fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Welcome to the Gone to the Dogs podcast. This is your host, Steve Fielder, coming to you one more time from the swamps down here in the sunny state of Florida. Uh, We never talk about the weather on this show, so I won't tell you that it's going to be about 95 degrees and humidity. It will probably equal that. We've got a great guest today for you, uh, somebody that I've known uh, since my first days in Raleigh, North Carolina uh, with the AKC. I, I knew this guy through his exploits around the country in the magazines before uh, we actually met. So we're going to have a great time and a great conversation today with my guest, Mr. Courtney Risk. But before we get uh, bring Courtney on, I wanted to mention a few news items that are floating around out there in the Coonhound world. Uh, the big news, I think, for everybody is the changes that the PKC organization has uh, made to their world hunt. Now, I believe these changes, uh, I kind of surf around the Internet from time to time, uh, too much time, according to my wife. But at uh, any rate, uh uh, it was Josh Michaelis, I believe, that has the Fuel by Joy podcast that suggested online uh, what was pretty much this uh, change, except for uh, what uh, what uh, are the uh, regions or the zone hunts that they're going to use. But at any rate, uh, what PKC has decided to do is have some zone hunts. Uh, similar to what UKC does with their world championship. And, of course, uh, looking back, you know, I was at UKC when we decided to go to the zone format to give more people around the country a chance to, um, you know, to compete in the world championship. So without going through all the locations and regions and everything, all of this has been well publicized on the PKC website, prohound.com. It's also on Facebook. If you check Shane Patton, uh, he's the guy that took Jerry Mall's place and is running the Coonhound department there at PKC. He's posted all the details. But just in a nutshell, uh, there will be these zone hunts, and if you go, they're two night affairs, and you go out and win back to back casts either on Friday night or Saturday night, uh, will qualify you to advance straight to the semifinal round at the World Championship in Salem, Illinois. Uh, and uh, but if you want to go old school and do it the way you've always done it, you can still show up at the beginning of the week at Salem and try to put your two cast wins together back to back on Monday through Thursday nights. Uh, so back, basically what this is, it allows a guy out there uh, in the fruited plain to go to a zone hunt fairly close to him and um, enter the dog. And if he's successful with two cast wins back to back, there's a $300 entry, uh, and then you can re-enter uh, on Saturday night if you're not successful on Friday. So anyway, just go to ProHound.com, look up those changes, and uh, there's some uh, chatter out there on the, <laughs> in the uh, social media about whether this is a good thing or bad thing. But from my observation, it seems that most people are in favor of the change. 
Another big news item that uh, came to my attention just recently is the uh, 2021 UKC Tournament of Champions winning dog, Connor McGregor, uh, owned by J.R. Gray, has been sold. Uh, Austin Gentry of Hamilton, Alabama, I believe is the guy that will be handling uh Connor, uh, Billy Wolf uh, from Whitesboro, Texas. They're the owners, and we want to wish them the best of success. I guess JR's thinking, you know, with the Willie dog that he has, has been so successful in the stud pen, and I'm sure there's a lot of young stuff coming on. We had JR on the podcast here about three weeks or so ago. But anyway, want to wish the new owners of Connor McGregor. Uh, a great run with uh, what's obviously a real nice coonhound. Uh, I also want to welcome into the world of podcasting uh, Alan Gingrich and Trevor Wade at UKC, who have just uh, begun their UKC Hunting Ops podcast. Uh, there's been two episodes posted so far. The first one was on rules and proposed rule changes, and the second one on the youth programs at, at uh, UKC. So welcome uh, to the uh, media uh, Alan and Trevor, and we look forward to listening to your podcast. Well, that's all the news that I have for today, but I want to get right into introducing our guest to you. Man, I, I've had some great times with this guy, <laughs> some crazy times that we'll talk about, I'm sure. But at any rate, it's just my extreme pleasure to have my buddy Courtney Risk on the show today. How are you doing, Courtney? Absolutely great, Steve. I really appreciate uh, this opportunity. Uh, can't fathom why you'd want to talk to me, but uh, I'm looking forward to this uh, little opportunity. Well, I couldn't find anybody else to come on this week. So. <laughs> no, 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 no. That is absolutely not true. And I've thought about for a long time having you on. You know, as I was thinking about this podcast today, I was thinking, you know, I ought to rename this thing instead of uh, gone to the dogs, rename it Fielder and Friends. Because <laughs> when I when I get to have my friends on the podcast, you know, I've had Nubbin Moore on here. A couple of times I've had my good buddy, uh, Lee Curran's, uh, various ones, and just had a guy that you and I both know. In fact, you were one of the guys that was influential in, in, in having me contact Mark Miller uh, about this uh, plot project that we have. But at any rate, uh, Court, it's, it's super, super good to have you on board. And, uh, you know, I I first started following you in the reports in the magazines when you were in the military, and uh, I think that was my first, uh, uh, you know, recognition of you as a coon hunter, et cetera. But before we get into that and how we got together and everything, uh, tell me a little bit about where you were born and grew up and some of the family stuff. You've got a great family. and Just kind of share a little bit of that with our listeners. Absolutely. Uh, born in Columbus, Nebraska. Uh, dad was from Nebraska. Mom was from Iowa. And spent the first five years of my life out in Nebraska, uh, right around the Columbus area. My 
grandfather was a engineer, had his own electronic business and was very successful uh, in employing, you know, a lot of people in the Columbus area. And uh, then my dad wanted to kind of make it on his own and parents moved out to uh, California to the LA area. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, the um, marriage didn't last very long and parents got divorced at seven. So I was raised by my mom, uh, three boys, single mother, and uh, moved to Huntington Beach, California. So Huntington Beach, California, the surf capital of the world, you know, uh, growing up there in my teenage years. And believe it or not, it was a little rough, you know, if you anybody follows the MMA world, you know, they know Tito Ortiz, the Huntington Beach bad boy. It was a rough area. And so, you know, uh, you can say Courtney started getting myself in a little bit of trouble and started probably running with the wrong crowd in my early teens. And so mom's like, no, nope, this is, isn't a good idea. It's time to move back to where family's at. And that was back in Iowa. Well, I see so, where you get this. Uh, I know that you're uh, an L.A. Angel fan, a Halo the, fan. Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Of Anaheim. Would, <laughs> no, it'll <laughs> always be the California Angels in my mind. I got you. I got you. Well, you know, we kind of became a little bit of uh, Angel fans here in in uh, Florida as we followed Joe Madden, who was a manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, and he moved uh -huh. to Chicago. And, of course, my son lives up there, so kind of followed him to Chicago and then over to uh, to L.A. But, unfortunately, Joe has come upon <laughs> what happens, I guess, with a lot of major league managers. He he recently got fired by the Angels. So. But, anyway, yeah, I knew that you were an Angel fan. So, all right, so you then from Southern California, you went – to Iowa then, right? Went to Iowa. So you can imagine this long-haired surfing boy, you know, wearing six wax t-shirt, bell bottoms, flip-flops, puka shells, you know, <laughs> in Dinsdale, Iowa. You were like and a dude. Like, <laughs> totally, man. <laughs> and, and Dinsdale, Iowa, population 49. Ooh. So, Culture I mean, shock. Yeah, ultra shock. Uh, <laughs> Cornfields, soybean. My grandfather had a big 800-acre uh, farm there, and it was all aunts and cousins, and you know, uh, that lived in the area, which made up the small little town of Dinsdale, Iowa. And uh, so, I had a very good family influence. But when I started going to school, you know, I just didn't fit in. And so I was in that culture shock, and an eighth grade teacher gave me a book, Where the Red Fern Grows. Oh, there it and is. And that okay, started the coup. So, you know, it transitioned me from, you know, BMX bikes and, and surfing and the California lifestyle to more of a country boy and getting, you know, comfortable in my new environment gave me, you know, something to do. And like Billy Coleman, you know, uh, I want to, you know, I started living and breathing coon hounds. And, and uh, so I talked to my uncle and uh, we decided, well, you know, Billy Coleman, you know, 
took out a magazine, uh, Outdoor Life Type, and uh, found a Coonhound Kennel in Tennessee. So could I. And so we ordered, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, back then a black and tan. Uh, I thought that was the breed that I wanted to start with. I just thought they were cool looking. Didn't yeah. know anything about them, but, you know, it just kind of fancied me. And uh, ordered a dog. And uh, I don't think it was a true black and tan, Steve. Yeah, It was one of those high tan. It was probably red bone, probably had a little bit of walker in it. But, uh, you know, it was a high tan meat dog, you know, mm-hmm. and we just called him Buck. And, uh, you know, he'd chase just about anything. If it slithered, if it crawled, if it flew, if it ran, <laughs> you know, it was game on. And how old were so, you at that time, Court? I was 13 at that time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so me and my uncle, you know, we would drive around, you know, the, the, the farms of Iowa and if something, you know, ran across the road. It was game on. And so <laughs> we, we did that for a while, had some fun. Um, now, would old Buck tree? Oh, he would tree. Um, yeah. But and, 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 you know, probably the best kill dog I've ever had. Mm-hmm. But uh you know, we would normally have to find the coon for him and yeah. probably squall it down out of the tree. And then once it started running, you know, he would get it and, you know, put it under a corn crib and, you know, pretty much kill anything within, a you know, uh, first couple chomps. So, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, sounds like but, a great dog for a kid. Though, yeah. Really. Yeah. And then I started getting some, you know, local boys uh that started you know running dogs so we would walk down a, a railroad um track and you know we would have a retriever we would have a beagle we'd have the coon hound and you know we would have a shotgun we would have a 22 and you know we would just go out and have fun and you know be boys and uh, we would be gone for hours you know, walking those railroad tracks, uh, cornfields, small little creeks. And, uh, you know, that's kind of how things started. Yeah, I got you. Well, that, that's, uh, that's a great way to start. Well, before we go any deeper into the coon hunting, how did I know that you had a career in the military and yep. that you're still involved with the military? But let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, when did that, uh, well, uh, I, I'm sure there's also, there's so many aspects here I want to talk to you about, Courtney. Uh, I know that you were involved in wrestling and other athletics, right? I, I was. I, I, you know, started that in California. Uh, I, you know, I can remember watching the 1972 Olympics and Dan Gable, uh, you know, from Waterloo, Iowa, um, mom, be, you know, when I grew up just outside of Waterloo, Iowa, about 20 minutes from Waterloo. And so, you know, I can just remember watching Dan Gable and, and, uh, you know, just wanted, I mean, that was my hero, still my hero. And, uh, anyway, um, started wrestling. It was mainly freestyle out in California. Uh, had some, you know, success, but just a little bit. And then when we moved back to Iowa, since I didn't really kind of fit in, I 
you know, I fit in on the wrestling mat and on the football field. So my <laughs> athletic, you know, uh, ability was recognized right off the get go. I was never a big guy, you know, but I was fast and, uh, you know, ended up picking up the sports and, you know, whatever it was, I ended up, uh, just having an athletic ability to, it just came easy for me. Well, that's terrific. And, you know, I was one of these kids who loved all kinds of sports and loved to play them, but was never very good at any of them. Uh, but of course I was a scrawny kid, you know, I weighed about 135 pounds when I graduated right, yeah, high yeah. school, you know, well, I graduated uh, at 150. So yes. oh, yeah, yeah. So I love football, but you know, football obviously just didn't have the size. I, you know, I was, uh, I played both way all four years in high school football. Uh, made uh, uh, second team all state uh, as a cornerback and, uh, you know, scored quite a few touchdowns for my small little team. But uh, wrestling really was my sport. And, uh, you know, wrestled all four years. Um, my seat, my, well, I always cut too much weight. So I wrestled 112 my freshman year, 119, 126, 132. But I tried to qualify my senior year, once again, back at a, a lower weight at 126 and just got myself dehydrated, went up to an upper weight, felt more comfortable, felt the best I did in the entire four years and had a very successful uh, senior year hmm. and ended up winning state. And, uh, which was, you know, a big deal in the state of Iowa, you know, wrestling's kind of, you know, uh, well-known in Iowa, oh, yeah. you know, and their accomplishments. So that opened up, you know, college opportunities for me. Well, and you passed that on to your kids too. All three boys wrestled in college and, uh, one of the, the oldest boys started doing a little bit of MMA after that. And they're still involved in the sport, that, you know. Uh, yeah. as uh, adults. That's got to be a good feeling, uh, for sure, to see your kids kind of following your footsteps. Yeah. I, I just have one son, and, uh, you know, he kind of followed the writing aspects uh, of my career. You know, he's, and Chris he's, is his name. Chris, yes. Uh -huh. Yep, I remember that. Yeah, and he uh, he's done very well in the corporate world. He He's gone from from about four different major corporations and now works for the company that does all the supplying, any kind of packaging, any kind of supplying for McDonald's restaurants. Oh, wow. They are worldwide, actually, is what he does. Uh, but he's always been in the PR aspect of things and involving a lot of writing, a lot of communication and stuff. So, you know, that's kind of been... Uh, uh, a, a pleasing thing to me to see that Chris kind of followed along at least that aspect. He always loved loves the dog, still does, but never quite got the coon hunting bug like 
like his right. dad did. And, and neither of my boys, you know. Right. Uh, Cordell, my youngest, you remember Cordell? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you you probably could tell some stories yeah, about oh, your yeah. adventure I, with Cordell. Cordell and I got into <laughs> an adventure or two. And I, the poor kid, I think that was that one time was more my fault than it was his for sure. But, uh, yeah, great kids and always in, enjoyed uh, uh, being around your family court. Well, now you're for the most part of your working life, though you were in the military. Is that right? Correct. That yeah. is correct. How did that come about for you? Well, um, so after high school, I, I got recruited to Utah State University. They were a Division One wrestling program. Uh, actually, very successful one. Uh, I think we were ranked 13th in the nation that year. And, um, so I was a good wrestler, Steve, but I wasn't a great wrestler. And when you get to the college level, D division one, you know, being a one timer, uh, you know, and that's what we say in the, you know, you win state one time, you know, you're a one timer Well, you're mm -hmm. wrestling against two timers, three timers and four time state champions, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, there, there was kids from, all across the country, we had 13 kids from Iowa. We called it the Iowa Pipeline. Uh, mm -hmm. The assistant coach, um, uh, Randy Erickson, I believe was his name, was an Iowa State wrestler, alumni, All-American. And so he recruited a lot of the Iowa boys. And um, anyway, I, I, I spent a year out there, you know, kind of got discouraged red shirting my you know because i'd always wrestled varsity and uh but i was very interested in the military and i was taking air force rotc and i always knew that's where i was going to end up i just you know uh always saw myself in a uniform you know whether it was going to be marines air force my dad was a pilot my grandfather was a pilot so there was, you know, definitely a Air Force connection. And so uh, after my first year, I, I went and actually just went and visited a recruiter, went to the Marine recruiter, talked to them. Everything was going really well with that. But the Air Force was right next door and the recruiter was never there. And, uh, so I kept going on back and I was actually visiting my dad who was living in Kimball, Nebraska at the time, which is at the far, uh, West end of Nebraska, right on the, you know, Wyoming border, not too far from Cheyenne. And I'd have to go to Cheyenne to see a recruiter. Um, the air force guy was never there. Finally, my last visit to, you know, ready to sign the papers for the Marine, there were Air Force guys there, and I go talk to him, told him what I wanted to do, and uh, anyway, long story short, ended up enlisting into the Air Force in 1983. I wanted to go into what they called the delayed, you know, enlistment program, where you can pretty much choose your date, and I wanted to get into uh, after January. This was August of 1983, and. Um, he goes, well, what if your country needs you? Are you willing to, you know, serve right now? And I said, yeah, absolutely. As soon as I said that, 
That weekend, the uh, Korean jetliner Amer- uh, was shot down, and uh, or you know, an American jetline by the Koreans, uh, North Koreans, I think, was shot down 1983. Yep. That September, and that uh, next, you know, two days later. I was headed down to San Antonio, Texas. So that was the beginning of my Air Force career. Well, there's certainly some parallels there uh, between you and I, because when I got through college, and this was back in uh, 1969, uh, I immediately got drafted because of Vietnam. And I went down and listened to the Army recruiter tell me how I should be a warrant officer. And I knew that meant flying helicopters. And (laughs) I knew the only place we were flying helicopters at that time was Vietnam. And I knew kind of what the the odds are were of of getting out of that. I think it was a two-minute life expectancy, if I remember correctly. Uh, Yeah, it was was about the time time you walk out the door and get in the bird. That was about it. So uh, I just walked down the street, uh, not down the street, down the hall and walked in the Air Force recruiter's office and I said, uh, I'm drafted. I've got two weeks. Uh, Do you have an opening for me? And he said, yeah, we've got one for an 80 score in the general field. If you can make that score, you know, we can take care of you. I said, well, what happens? You know, what what kind of jobs are there? And he said, oh, well, some really good jobs. There's a meteorologist, air traffic control, uh, intelligence. And I said, well, what if I wash out? Well, the, we also have food service and the military police. So <laughs> I said, well, <laughs> that's a pretty broad spectrum there. But surely, I, but anyway, I ended up and, and it turned out to be a good, a good thing for me. And I did go in uh, under delayed enlistment and got right. to spend about a month uh, down here in Florida. I had an aunt and uncle that were living down here. In the end. So there is some, some commonality there between the two of us. Well, I, I think I know we want this is a coon hunting podcast and we want to get into the coon hunting <laughs> aspects as soon as we can. But I think your story is so interesting in that. Just kind of give us like an overview of your military service and what you did. I know you had some some pretty uh, intense jobs and so forth. Well, I wanted to be a dog handler. That's what my original intention was. And so like most uh, recruiters, you get lied to. It's all about the numbers. So they put me in security police and I told, you know, uh, I think it was, uh, you know, my dorm chief down in San Antonio that, uh, you know, uh, I wanted to be a dog handler and I was um, going to be security police. He says, all you're going to be doing is counting rivets on a B-52 up in uh, North Dakota. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, what? So anyway, they were actually actively recruiting two different jobs. And one was pararescue, the elite, you know, um, rescue force that the, uh, that the Air Force has, very similar to Navy SEALs, and then a uh, SEER. And back in the day, they called it survival instructor. And so SEER, uh, you know, uh, survival, evasion, resistance, escape training. And uh, since I had my coon hunting, you know, love the woods, love following, you know, a hound on the creek bottom, that just seemed more my fitting. I love the pararescue aspect, 
but I wouldn't consider myself a strong enough swimmer to, you know, actually make it through that training. So, you know, I chose SEER and went up to Spokane, Washington and uh, to the Air Force Survival School. And the they basically send all the pilots or air crew members or combat control pararescue men that are high risk of capture through the SEER training. And so we teach them how to survive, how to live off the land, you know, how to provide their own shelter, food, water, substance. And then, you know, if they ever found themselves deep behind enemy lines, how to evade, how to evade capture. If they ended up getting captured, how to resist enemy exploitation and how to return with honor. And if they ever found that opportunity to escape, we teach them how to do that, too. So uh, it's a, uh, you know, kind of a uh, elite school that not everybody gets to go through. Most people don't want to, but they will always remember it for the rest of their lives. So well, what I remember about your training in that regard is you had me tasting what ants tasted like. You said they, oh, say, yeah. they taste like citrus. <laughs> and citrus I'll be darned, yeah. they did. Or, uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> Like a lemon drop, you know, lemon, like the old yeah. lemon drop, you know, <laughs> lemon head candies, you know, they just had that real strong lemony taste. Yeah, that's right. Well, okay, let's fast forward then a little bit and tell us about, um, well, wh were you deployed uh, or, or were you stateside the whole time? No, uh, I, I had deployments, but really wasn't until the end of my career. So the okay. first five years I spent in Spokane, Washington, and uh, I, I ended up getting married, became an, a single dad, raising three kids uh, by myself, living. I, I then got my first or second duty assignment was in uh, at McCord Air Force Base in Tacoma, Washington. And that's when I met Melina. And once mm -hmm. Melina and I started dating, you know, and falling in love, that's when the thought of getting back into the hounds, you know, and now I had a uh, good family life and uh, that, that longing for, you know, the, the chase and having hounds and, you know, started coming back to me. Started off with a beagle, and then once I got the beagle, I realized I can do a big hound, you know, even in base housing. And that's, you know, started doing uh, that back in, I guess it would have been 1990. And uh, ended up getting a walker hound. This time, I was a little bit smarter. I actually went to, you know, a reputable breed, uh, breeder and come to find out that he had an uh, you know a stud dog an advertised stud dog grand night champion that uh, I believe that Mr. Keith Durkey talked about uh, when he did the podcast and his name was Oka River Dick direct son of Red Eagle Dick mm -hmm. and so direct son of a world champion and Dick himself placed 16th in the uh, 86th uh, world hunt and fourth in the U.S. Championship, which I believe back then, Steve, was the Grand American. 
Is that correct? Well, no, actually, the U.S. championship was held in uh, usually in North Carolina. It okay. was uh, a, a hunt that was licensed, if you will, by the ACHA. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, the first time I went to the U.S. championship, it was in Lexington, North Carolina. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, it was it was a separate, uh, separate. separate hunt. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, you know, this dog had some credentials, but he was 10 years old. And uh, so I went back to Illinois and uh, ended up uh, picking him up. And uh, that started my coon hunting adventures all over again. I see. Now, you and I had a mutual friend, and unfortunately, he's passed. Uh, a Mr. Gr- Dave a Anderson. great guy. Yes, David yes. Anderson. Is that, did you meet Dave during those years there? In, in those yeah, when years? I was uh, at McCord, and I was at McCord Air Force Base for eight years, Dave was living in Cedar Woolley, and so I became, uh, well, we started up the Washington State Coon Hunters Association, and I became the first bench show and master of hounds for the state of Washington, and uh, actually, Linda Mack came on up. I got it approved by UKC. You you were probably at UKC at the time, and um, to do... one apprentice on, under her, since we were so geographically far away, you know, in order to get things started, you know, instead of somebody from California or Montana or, you know, Utah coming out there, uh, do it one time, did it under Miss Linda Mack, and I got my certification. And then from that point on, I started traveling all over the place doing Master of Hounds event show, you know for the Western uh, states. I see. You know, when I was at UKC, I was kind of amazed uh, at the uh, number of coonhound people that uh, enjoyed the sport out on the West Coast. I used to um, talk a lot with the guys down in Southern uh, California and uh, the different different ones. If I start naming names, I know I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> but uh, I remember especially O.B. Hill out there, O.W. Hill yep. with his red bones. Uh, O.H. Hill. O.H. O.W. O.W. Ladies man. Yeah, he was quite the dapper fellow. Oh, he would come up to Washington. He would bring his red bones and oh my gosh, they were to die for. Oh, you would yeah. just drool looking yeah. at those absolutely gorgeous dogs. Yeah, he brought a female down to the world show in Crockett, Texas, mm-hmm. and Dr. David Birdsell was the judge, and he picked uh, Mr. Hill's Redbone female as world champion. Champion, so, yep. yeah. So that I was, remember uh, that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So going on back to to, to Dave Anderson. Uh, we, we just, you know, we became friends. We were very like-minded. I, uh, you know, he was bringing some of the better dogs. He was from Minnesota. I, he knew Rick Emerson and grew up with him and used to coon hunt. Um, and, uh, and then he ended up getting a female out of Uplinger's Joe and that, uh, he called Lone Pine Mad Money. And uh, I know that uh, kind of strikes a chord with you being a lone pine dog. Yeah. yeah. But uh, uh, 
Uplinger's show being directly out of Old Clover, uh, Lee Logan's. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was my introduction to the the Clover world, if you will. Right, right. And uh, anyway, Dave and I ended up partnering, you know, years later with Money. And uh, Money was, you know, a, a very nice dog. Wasn't a great dog, but she was a very nice dog, but probably one of the better reproducing females. Interesting, after I left Tacoma, I went down to Albuquerque and I say, Dave followed me down to Albuquerque, mm-hmm. uh, New Mexico. I was uh, working at the pararescue uh, school as an instructor there, teaching all their rock climbing and mountaineering and high angle rescue. Um, so, uh, and of all the places, Steve, I still say Albuquerque, New Mexico was one of my favorite places to coon hunt. You know, that that does kind of amaze me. Uh, what, what's the gentleman's <laughs> name out there? Uh, Fred? That was Fred a, Moore. Fred Moore. Mr. Fred Moore. Yeah. Yep. He's, a legend. He's a legend in that area. And I'm yes. not sure. I think my former partner, Chris Powell, and that group there with Seth Hall and all with Houndsman XP may have done a podcast, uh, or I think Seth may have gone and, and hunted with Fred. Uh, as far as you know, is he still living? Fred is still living. In fact, yeah. uh, we just kind of corresponded and liked each, you know, some stuff on Facebook, uh, just this, uh, you know, within the last couple of days. Oh, well, so that's yes, awesome. Yes. That's awesome. Yep. Well, I had a connection to Albuquerque through uh, bear hunting. I sold yep. a couple of pups to a guy named Tom David who operates Summit Outfitters out of, I think he's in Bosque Farms now. Is that yep. the right pronunciation? And Bosque Farms is where we used to have uh, some of the hunts at a Rick, Rick Larrabee's place. And then we moved it to other places, you know, Bosque we, we basically called the River Bottom, or it's known as the Bosque. And so you got... Bosky Farms, Las Lunas, Berlin, and, you know, the Rio Grande River, We you would be able to, to basically get a key, uh, unlock the gate, open, drive through, lock it back up, and then you would have miles of driving, paralleling, the road would just parallel the river, and then you would have about 200, you know, yards maybe a little bit, you know, wider in some spots of cottonwood forest mm-hmm. with Russian uh, olives. olives. Mm-hmm. And the coons love those little, oh, you yeah. know, Russian olives. And, you know, they would only be 15, 20 feet high up in the tree, mm-hmm. you know, and talk about training some young dogs. You oh, could yeah. get them really fired up with a coon, right. you know, in a small little tree like that. Well, I hunted in Russian olives out there along the Bighorn River with Dean Carroll in Wyoming. Yep. Those That's things that. are very brittle. They're very bushy. It's oh, hard yes. for a dog to get a place to tree on the tree because of all the limbs and everything that are there. And it's just kind of a jungle, like or a canopy of <laughs> those darn things. It can but, be. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's. But the it's beauty crazy. of driving down the ro- road, getting parallel to where the dogs were, you know, walking into the dogs, you can road them, you could rig them, you can mm. cast them. You know, it was just a great place to hunt. 
It really was. Miss it, you know, uh, oh, yeah. other than, you know, when they had, you know, certain places in the summer that were, you know, uh, fire danger area, they would mm-hmm. shut down the entire thing. Other than that, it was a, you know, really good place to, uh, and some good people. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm sure. And, you know, when I went to West Texas around San Angelo, I met some great people. A lot of them were transplants, you know, from other states back east. Uh, one guy yeah. particularly from Tennessee. But we hunted along the Concho River and different uh, creeks there with a lot of mesquite. And then we'd have some cottonwoods, you know, along the creek bottoms and all. But, uh yeah, yeah. Hunting out west is definitely a different gig for right. sure. Right, and but. I think there's another name that you might recognize, recognize, George Hobbs. Oh, yes. I haven't thought about George in a long time, but boy, did I learn a lot from George. I mean, he was just a walking encyclopedia when it came to bear and lion hunt. Let's talk about George just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, unfortunately, George has passed now. Oh. He moved to Oklahoma okay. uh, from New Mexico. Right. When I was at UKC, uh, Gary Washburn. Yep, from, I remember Gary. Yeah. I've been actually out to his place. Yeah. Well, Gary and I kind of met the first time, I think, at the American Heritage Hunt in Texas, where he came over. Uh, when we started that event there at the rodeo grounds in Hearn, Texas. And we talked, and and Gary began writing a big game column for Coonhound Bloodlines magazine. So he invited me out to go bear hunting with him uh, on horseback in New Mexico. And he said, I want you to come out and meet George Hobbs. Right. He said, to me, George Hobbs is the last of the old Ben Lilly type ben Lilly, bear hunters. Western and, cowboy yep, to the extreme. Yes. And what a jewel of a guy he was. Yes. And I've told the story perhaps in my book, but about the day that I, I met, I flew into Lubbock, Texas, met a friend there named Wade Fikes from Mineral Wells, Texas, who was the driver picked us up. I had a dog uh, w- with me on the plane. Uh, we dr- Our objective was dri- to drive to Arabella, New Mexico, uh, in the Lincoln National Forest there at Ma- uh, Capitan Mountain. I don't know if mm-hmm. you hunted any yep. of that country. I down sure there. did. Yep. So anyway, as we drove uh, from Riodosa toward uh, uh, from Roswell toward Riodosa. Got yep. a little wide spot in the road called Hondo. We drove 15 miles north of Hondo on a little twisting uh, hardtop road to a place called Arabella that consisted of three uh, dwellings that were basically in sight of each other, but barely. We went through a stock gate, the ranch gate, and drove five more miles up to an abo- adobe fish, excuse me, an adobe sheep hunters camp that was to be our camp for the for the week of bear hunting and uh gary and i and wade were going to stay in tents but george and his uncle uh fat they called him did you ever meet fat i think i met him one time in bear camp 
He was a jewel, too. Just a great <laughs> guy. An old cowboy, you know. Old cowboy. Probably in his late 70s, maybe 80 by then. We walked in that that uh, sheep herder's hut that night, and here was uh, Corky Hare. Did you ever meet Corky? He was a government I, hunter. and he, I may or may not, but it yeah, doesn't ring a bell. Though. Yeah, but anyway, I'll get to the chase on this. He and uh, George were sitting there chasing uh, chilies and, and, and <laughs> brown beans around a, a metal plate. Uh, and sopping the, the juice up with the tortilla. And I said, man, I am in the West. I looked at, <laughs> on the wall, and there was all their tack hanging, their, you know, their bridles and ropes and everything. It was a dream for a kid, it was a, dream. a guy from yeah. back East. It really yep. was. No, even with time. all my survival training and all that, just to be in the presence of Mr. George Hobbs and just kind of shadow him as he's wa- looking for, you know, lion scap and, and, you know, sign and, you know, and tracking. It was just, I mean, it was something to really witness. And that was just an absolute pleasure. Well, I can absolutely concur with what you're saying. Uh, we hunted in a place called uh, Hell's Canyon or Hale Canyon. I don't remember which, but uh, George was showing me all the, let's call them nuances of lion mm-hmm. hunting and the mm-hmm. difference, how to read the scrapes and which way yep. the cat was traveling. Yep. Was it a tom or a, or, or a, or a, a female and, and, you know, and all this. But along with all that was this humor and was this – idea that here you're with a guy that could survive oh yeah on, he could survive uh, in in death valley i think this right. guy was an amazing amazing guy i wish all of our listeners could yeah. have had the opportunity to meet george hobbs hey and, we, and george actually introduced me to well uh oh shoot oh boy it, 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 the name came and went It'll be back. Um, it happens the, to yeah. me all the time. Ra- Randy Skaggs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Ra- Another Randy Air Force stationed, guy. Yeah. Randy was stationed in the Air Force. He, um, and it was just right before he was ready to retire. He was uh, running the hospital uh, out at uh, Kirtland Air Force Base. Mm. And, the, you know, Kirtland Air Force Base Hospital slash PA Center. And, uh, you know, Randy being famous for Skaggs black and tans and had some of the best, you know, black and tans, you know, still to this day, you still see, you know, Skaggs uh, black misty, Skaggs queen, you know, on some of the better black and tan, you know, dogs. Oh, absolutely. uh, Yeah, you mentioned, you know, Randy, and he was on top of his game there for many years with black and tans. You know, he had... uh, some of the winningest black and tans, especially that female Misty, I remember. And there was another one. I think he had one na- a male dog named Hammer, I think. Um, but at any rate, yeah, great, great hunter. Yeah, he had some good ones. And, then, you know, he kept most of his coon hounds back either in Missouri or Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, you know, the other ones that he would uh, – 
bear and lion hunt, cat hunt, uh, he would have out there in New Mexico with him. But enjoyed a lot of good times with him. Well, you know, this coon hunting or hound fraternity is just such an amazing thing. And all the people that you meet, one of the last times I talked to them, perhaps in person to George Hobbs, was at uh, the uh, Little Dixie Jamboree, a PKC hunt in McAllister, Oklahoma. And George, I believe, was sitting there at that table. I'm, I may be a little fuzzy on this. I know Dave Anderson was there. And I know, right. I know for sure that John Wick was there. And John and Dave and I sat and had a long conversation right? and talking about dogs. And we talked a lot about trash running in dogs and, and how you can uh, – John was kind of a little incredulous uh, to think that I, when I told him that in the line of plots that I had, they basically uh, bred uh, pretty much trash-free. And uh, although you might dispute that, the first thing that the whole <laughs> hoss ever treed was a possum, if you remember, possum. out yeah, there. I do. I near do. that subdivision, which we're going to talk about some of that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, Courtney, I mean, just think about the people we've been able to meet over the years and how interesting they were and how knowledgeable they were. And really, and I, I know from – from talking to you before, how revered they are now in our memory, you know. What was it like to hunt with Dave Anderson? What kind of guy was he? he on the surface, he was the most congenial, polite, soft-spoken uh, guy that, that one could imagine, but I never actually hunted with Dave. But Dave also had a very competitive spirit. Oh, did So he? if you drew Dave in a competition hunt, it was game on. Uh -huh. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, no, but Dave was great. Uh, Dave had a great mind, you know, and you know that from all oh, yeah. his writings, very yeah. cerebral, um, you know, and he, boy, you know, he put a story on paper. Oh, and, yes. uh, mm -hmm. But uh, Dave and I just had a really good friendship. Him and his wife, Gwen, uh, were very close. Mm -hmm. And both Melina and I just enjoyed their company. We enjoyed getting together, going to, yeah. going over to their place, taking the kids over. You know, oh, they, yeah. they were almost like grandparents to my kids. Uh, but Or aunt and uncle. I shouldn't say grandparents because mm -hmm. they really weren't that much older. Right. But, uh, um. Dave and I actually owned the money female there for a little bit, and I bred uh, her to a dog that I had that went back to Stanley Roberts Sarawood dogs back in Virginia. And when I say uh, we're talking the, in the hills of Virginia, Honaker, uh, I hope I pronounced that right. Well, if Honaker, you're from Honaker, there, listen, yeah. I can tell you, I, I know of, of – which I speak. <laughs> if you are a native of Southwest Virginia, that is Honeacre. Honeacre. <laughs> and Sarahwood is actually, if you're looking at it on paper, it's Sourwood. Yeah, but they call it but Sarahwood. But they all pronounced it Sarahwood, so I would, <laughs> you know, it, and I, 
honor of Stan, who's passed, uh, it's always going to be Sarah Woodhound. Uh, well, that's just you, like uh, the word, what they're saying, instead of sour, they're saying it's sour. It's sour. It, it's <laughs> like sour <laughs> cherries. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my— And then you got a— yeah. yeah, and then you got this Yankee or Midwestern, you know, oh, yeah. uh, guy pronounce it. But anyway, uh, I, I met a young airman, Larry Maggard. This is going back when I was at uh, McCord Air Force Base in, in Washington. And uh, he was a third generation coon hunter. He was 18 years old, never, ever been out of the state of Virginia uh, until he went to the Air Force. And everything that we did was like a first time for Larry because he was so sheltered uh, from his uh, Virginia upbringing. And he basically almost became like an older teenage son of mine Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, um, was a very, very good friend. But the good thing about Larry, he not only enjoyed coon hunting, but he enjoyed wrestling. And oh, so okay. he wrestled at Grundy uh, High School in Virginia, which is a you know a really good you know uh, program, and wrestled for Kevin Dresser, who was an Iowa uh, wrestler, and now is the head coach at Iowa State University. So um, he had a very good pedigree as a wrestler, and then wrestled for the Air Force. So Larry and I were very close, and still very close, and just saw him last week, and. Went out to dinner in Bristol, uh, Virginia, and uh, so. Well, let me that? jump in there just a minute. You mentioned sure. Grundy, Virginia. Grundy. My grandfather, who was a Hatfield and a descendant of those famous feuding Hatfields Hatfield and McCoys, <laughs> and I've and I've told the story on on the podcast before, so I won't go into it, but. My grandfather was, for many years, a coal miner, of course, from West Virginia. Well, actually, he was born in eastern Kentucky, but my mother and her siblings were raised in West Virginia up until she was in 11th grade, and they moved to a little town called Clinchco, Virginia, which is not all that far from the area you're talking about. And my grandfather owned uh, or operated a watch repair shop in Grundy, Virginia. No. So uh, it's uh, it's a small world, Courtney. Small world. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I ended up getting a, a dog uh, sent from Virginia to Washington, and he was off of R- Riverbend, or Sarawood John Wayne, and mm-hmm. off of Riverbend John Wayne yep. offered the cor- course the famous Hall of Fame Riverbend flag, yep. and so he was flag bred. But he was uh, when we bred him to money, uh, Lone Pine Mad Money Clover bred. We had this beautiful red head blanket back looking flag and clover you cannot look at this dog that i named uh big bang and say that that was a flag slash clover bread dog because he was beautiful and i i ended up dual granding him when i was out in albuquerque and Mm -hmm. uh and you called him what again courtney it was actually uh dual grand sky cries big bang was his actual Mm -hmm. title 
Okay. And he was, you know, he was a nice dog. I only bred him a couple times. Wish I would have bred him more. But Steve, you know, a very good balanced dog, you yeah. know, real good strike dog, could move a track like a dog should, you know, excellent trade dog. He wasn't one of those, you know, uh, 120, 140 time bark, you know, chop mount tree dog, but he was just a good solid 90 to, you know, a uh, hundred and, you know, but always had a coon, always mm-hmm. had a coon. And that's, you know, we don't see that anymore, right. you know, and what, uh, or it's harder and harder to come by. Yes, sir. Well, what about uh, the time frame that you spent there in, in New Mexico? So I, I, I uh, stayed at the pararescue school for four years mm-hmm. and um, uh, had a, a great time. That was probably the highlight of my military career, you know, training young PJs, you know, the the elite of the Air Force and elite of the military. You know, they they really are outstanding individuals. So I got the best of both worlds, both SEER and pararescue. And uh, then after four years of that, then I moved out to Missouri. I was ready to get back what I can consider, you know, back into the coon hunting hub, if you will, you know, because I'd been on the outskirts of it for so long. So when I was in Washington, I would have to go to Montana, Oregon, or California for UKC hunts. If it wasn't one of our little local event that we only had a couple times of the year. Uh, Sometimes I'd be traveling 13 hours one way just for a UKC event. Mm. Mm. Or an RQE or anything mm. like that. Um, you know, I'll when interrupt I was, you here. I, you know, one time I was at the uh, Labor Day Classic in in uh, North Vernon, Indiana, in my PKC yep. years, and there's uh, Travis Sterick there. Yep. And yep. Travis has no, driven. Well. Yeah, I know you do. And he had driven out from Washington State yep. to Indiana to <laughs> go to a Kuna. Like, Hardcore. Oh, man. Think about it. Yeah, that's a haul. Yeah. That's a haul. When I was in uh, Albuquerque, I went to John Rich's place in Arkansas to see uh, Minkler's uh, Kansas Thunder. I wanted to breed money. And I was on a stud dog, you know, uh, adventure journey, trying to find the, you know, mm-hmm. the ultimate stud dog for money to breed to. And, um, I figured if I bred her to my own dog, you know, which was the, you know, little John, the Sarah Wood, uh, John, or uh, John Wayne two dog that we called little John. And I had success there. I have big bang. What if I bred her to one of these nationally bred stud dogs? Right. So I went out to John Rich's place and John didn't talk about Thunder, and I got to see Thunder go, but John talked about Hickory Nut Harry, Balls Hickory Nut Harry. Mm-hmm. The entire night, he wore me out about <laughs> Harry and, and Timothy Ball, about how great Timothy Ball is. And, of course, as a boy in the magazines, you know, Reading all those Timothy, but you just you would read it for entertainment value, but you, mm-hmm. you you would never believe it. And I'm like, ah, uh, you know, he's like, 
on your way home back to Albuquerque, stop at Timothy's. He's right on the way back. And uh, I says, no, I, 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 no way. And he's like, no, no, trust me. It's not what you think. And long story short, I stopped at Timothy Balls. I spent an evening talking to him. He looked at me and he offered me to stay in his bed, you know, or, you know, a spare bedroom. And, you know, he's in his pajamas. He's showing me videos of uh, Harry. I'd already cleaned up Harry's shit. You know, he put me to work right off the get-go, you know, cleaning up Harry's, you know, uh, <laughs> crap and all of his grand night females. And then he looked at me and said, Young man, you didn't come out here to listen to an old man talk about his dogs. You want to go hunting, don't you? And uh, sure enough, uh, we loaded the dogs up and, and we went coon hunting. Now, I did not get to see Harry himself. He was six years old and already retired and living the good life. In the now, that was camp. the old Harry dog, right? That was the, not the original Harry. No, no, no. Okay, but, so this was the bald, stylish, hickory nut Harry. Yeah. Yep, it sure was. That's the dog that John that Rich John trained. Rich trained yep. and, you know, granded out, essentially. Right. So, uh, we we went out hunting. I think we made five trees. My dog was the only one that made a coon, you know, treat a coon that night. He had another big name stud dog. I'm not going to mention names or anything like that that was probably the most impressive tree dog I've ever seen. Loud as can be, but, you know, slick as heck. And uh, mm. so, uh, <laughs> but John, or excuse me, Timothy Ball and I struck a friendship that, you know, uh, I could call him up. I could stop by. He'd always take me out to lunch, take me out to a steak breakfast. And, uh, you know, I will remember, you know, uh, for those that always thought Timothy Ball was just a blowhard, he was just a sweet, you know, good Christian man that just loved to, Absolutely. you know, Absolutely. get a little attention for himself and his dogs. <laughs> he was the best. You know, I, I just I think I just made a little comment to someone on social media about all this stuff that's going on on social media with this one on one coon leak and all this crazy stuff. Yes. And I yes. said, you know, these current day keyboard commandos. And and uh, uh, internet, you know, kings and 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 uh, all could not hold a candle right. to Timothy Ball in his prime for right. creating hype and creating yes. excitement about a dog. He was the best. I mean, Steve, he, he was absolutely up, the best. He, yes, absolutely. When I pulled up to Ada, Oklahoma. And saw, you know, that the, the, the sign, you know, welcoming you to Ada, Oklahoma. I expected to see him and Hickory Nut Harry's picture on that sign. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's what I had expected. Yeah. Well, sometime I I may have on a podcast. It, it's a, a crazy. I counted up the other day, and it was oh, a hundred and. Close to getting close to two hundred podcasts that I've done now, and three years ago I barely knew what a podcast was. But I, I had my Timothy Ball experience and got to hunt with him on a pleasure hunt at the Texas State Championship out of uh, Fairfield, Texas, 
and he and Billy Lynn, which uh, mm-hmm. was a partner back in the day, you know, he Billy, Billy Lynn, the, David Fletcher, David Fletcher, of course, uh, Johnny yep. McClanahan, all those legends. guys. But yep. Texas you know, um, it was just a, a, a very enjoyable experience. Now, mm-hmm. Tim had, because he put everything out there in the magazines, that made him susceptible to a lot of criticism from people. Right, absolutely. You know, and, uh, but, you know, he he really was the real deal when it came to, uh, to uh, coon hunting, you know. And there's so many stories. Maybe sometime I'll do a, and, and I'll have you back on them. We'll do an episode on Timothy Ball and some of the stories and everything that <laughs> – that he told, but he was an absolute legend in our yes. sport of coon hunting and uh, probably never be another one like him as far as a, a promoter of coon Promoters, yeah, yeah, right. You know, uh, you know, I've had a stud dog before. I've tried to do the promotion. I never was, you know, that I didn't have that type of personality or what it takes with Timothy Ball or Kurt Ehring, you know, uh, but uh, <laughs> it takes work and it's a talent and it's something I admire yeah. and I will always admire Mr. Ball. I think he's the one that created the slogan, the, the tree, a tree dog that could milk the maple. oh man that's good stuff court well listen okay so you spent those years in in uh, new mexico then you moved in new mexico then you went to missouri and what part of the state were you in out there i was in warrensburg you know so the air force base home of the b2 bomber white whiteman air force base okay i was the seer guy and we only had you know so for all the b2 pilots they could not fly a mission until they you know i was the second to the last person they were and we were sending you know uh bombers after 9-11 to baghdad and afghanistan and dropping jdam bombs i had to give the seer brief in case, you know, what would happen if they were shot down, what to do, what type of threats, ground threats, give them all that information and what to do, where to go, etc. And then mm. the chaplain and then off they flew their combat sorties. You know, back mm. then, I think it was, you know, close to 19 hours. We were setting, you know, records for combats, you know, the longest combat sorties. And um, so that was, uh, you know. Uh, the end of my career, it was a, a privilege that I got, but, bef- you know, I, I, I was a halo jumper. I was a test parachutist for Explain the Air Force. Explain what a halo jumper is. Courtney. Halo is a high altitude, low opening. So that's when you see the guys jumping out the back of the cargo aircraft, whether it's a C-130, 141, uh, C-17, and basically diving out like Superman and free fall in military free fall all the way approximately to you know 4500 square feet you know uh i'm trying to i'm doing it but of course you can't see me but you're taking your arms you know crossing them in front of you (laughs) and basically like bird wings you know clearing the air so they the rest of the people that are jumping with you they're all in their safe little zone 
And then you pull your ripcord about 3,500 square feet. And at so what altitude? high altitude, low opening. Sometimes, you know, we would jump out with uh, oxygen. Anything above 13,000 feet required oxygen. And But uh, I went back to do a halo, ax, or, or a halo jump back with my old squadron, squadron in Albuquerque. And I had a parachute mishap. And, uh, hmm. long story short, June 19th, 2001, uh, I was doing a night halo jump, never saw the ground, zero illumination came in 50% break and just smacked the ground. And, uh, me and another guy, you know, got hurt pretty bad. He was able to walk away. I had 17 PJs, you know, pair paramedics that were right there on the scene taking care of me. I got a nice Black Hawk uh, helicopter ride, medevaced uh, to Albuquerque. And anyway, uh, my foot was all the way backwards, 150 degrees. And then I shattered my fibula in over 100 different pieces and spiral mm -hmm. fractured. So uh, when I woke up in the recovery room, the... Air Force Lieutenant Colonel said, uh, Sergeant Risk, we did everything we could, but there was just so many pieces. Mm. And that was just prior to September 11th. That was June 19th, 2001. So I, you know, in a, in a cast, laid completely up in the air, watch, you know, the aircraft flying into our trade center and uh, the uh, Twin Towers. Then, you know, the Pentagon and the missing aircraft and watching this. And I absolutely knew after that second one that we were under a terrorist attack. Hmm. So I was not able to have my operation, which was scheduled for September 20th, you know, because of what happened on September 11th, because we're sending B-2s, you know, on their combat sorties. So I couldn't have that, the, you know, required operation to fix what the lieutenant colonel couldn't do the first time. And so you went story right short, back to work in your. Well, I went back to work. I had to. Yeah. And I, I couldn't, I didn't get the operation until November. Hmm. So over, you know, a couple months time. Uh, and they had to remove three and a half inches of, of dead bone from my fibula. And, uh, so I was in a booty for about two years. I wasn't coon hunting a whole lot, ended up, you know, selling, you know, my good dog. So, you know, he was still young and needed to be put in the hunts and, you know, and studded out if, you know, whoever the new owner. So I sold him when I started getting better. I came back from a deployment. I actually got to the point where I could, you know, redeploy, went over to, I call it my stands trip. So I was in Kyrgyzstan, uh, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and of course, Afghanistan. And I was there for nine months, came back, and I had hunted with Tipper. And when I mm. say Tipper, okay, uh, I, I'm talking the famous dog that Jess Dickerson I had. Hunted, that, uh, I guided her one night on a PKC. Nocturnal Tipper. Yep. And... I hunted with her when she was about 18 months old. Uh, was Jess hunting or was Rusty no, Jones hunting? No, uh, Krausen. Um, oh, okay, Ryan? Ryan Krausen was 16 years old. 
big boy, big football player at the time. Me, him, and Lee Pinson, I, I believe, was uh, was the older gentleman on the cast. It was a Friday before Paul's Valley RQE. And I thought, let's go to this, you know, Friday night UKC hunt. Since I'm coming all the way from Albuquerque, I'll go uh, out there and hit that hunt before I go to the RQE and try to qualify. And um, I drew Tipper. And boy, did she put on a tree, a coon tree and clinic. I think she had 675, you know, when we still had 45 minutes later. And then the three of us, we're holding onto a tree as a tornado, you know, came by in the local area. Mm. And it was, <laughs> it was absolutely nuts. Anyway, survived that, hunted the RQE uh, the next day, didn't do any good, went back to Albuquerque. But on the way back, I called Jess. And that, you know, was the beginning of my friendship with Jess. And I ordered a pup out of Freckles and uh, Naylor. And I had to have whatever I saw out of temper, I had to have. And uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, I never got that. You know, unfortunately, Freckles didn't have any more pups. And but uh, when I got to Missouri, I started hunting, you know, some of uh, Jess's older females, you know, in between litters and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. uh, so you had quite a close relationship with Jess. Yes. Oh, no. Jess and I, you know, there for a time frame. Uh, I, I was hunting with Steve Mackey for quite a bit, mm-hmm. and then I was hunting with Jess after my deployment, hunting some of Jess's dogs. I was never a good handler. I would, you know, uh, never want to take one of Jess's dogs and and, and put it in a, a night hunt or anything like that. But uh, kept them up, you know, kept them in shape and uh, had some fun with them and, uh, you know, good, good friendship between Jess and I and still to this day that's kind of the style of dog I always wanted to go back to that tipper line and uh, I ended up now forwarding you know years later still hunting dogs out of skipper which is uh, skipper and tippers uh, or litter mates and uh, you know uh, still have semen collected on an old dog that you used to hunt with High Plains Drifter. Yep. So, uh, Grand Night, Grand Show Champion, High Plains Drifter. And it's probably, you know, uh, one of the loudest and most, you know, enjoyable dogs that I ever had. Even though he had a ball mouth tree dog, I always thought I'd hate that until I had him. No one else had that. And he was so easy to treat. Right. And you can just call him on that locate. So one of my favorite dogs. Well, I'll uh, pause right here just a minute. There's an old mountain saying that we should give our flowers while the person's living. A shout out to Jess Dickerson. I never had a conversation with Jess over these years, many years. And when he had Naylor and he had that, what was the... uh, Jet dog he had. The jet I, I hunted with Jet more than any of the other dogs. Mm-hmm. I hunted with X Junior. Uh I was actually with Jess and Russ Myers, you know, uh when they won the world hunt in Palmyra, uh mm-hmm. Missouri. I think that was the two thousand two 
World Hunt, if I remember correctly, may have been 2001, but I was right there. I was, here's an interesting, I was on crutches with them. Mark Houck, a uh, blue tick guy, comes up to me and we started talking and he goes, what the heck happened to you? And I I said, a uh, night halo jump. And Mark lifted up his left leg pants, pulled down his socks and had the same scar at the exact same location Mm. and said, night halo jump. We both had a similar accident. Wow, that's that's yeah, yeah. Well, two things come to mind. (laughs) First, that is really, and Mark's a great guy. Just talked to Mark at uh, Autumn Oaks, I believe it was last year uh, at the motel. We had a little, you know, reunion there and talked about old times and uh, blue tick guy. but very passionate guy for his blue ticks and and a great patriot and uh, a guy that I like a lot. Uh, but back to just a, a minute to back. Jess. I never Absolutely. had a conversation with Jess that wasn't an absolute pleasurable experience. The last time I talked to him just eye to eye was at the 2021 Tournament of Champions in Greencastle. And we we talked outside the building there for quite a while. Always had a lot of respect for Jess. I I was uh, as I said, I've guided him when he was on a on a cast. I've seen him as a competitor. Uh, he actually there was a question on that cast that night, and when it came back to the panel, they finally I know the guide is just kind of like a spectator, but. You know, I guess the club wanted to know what I thought about what was going on. (laughs) And I just said, well, Mr. Dickerson there laid it out to you exactly the way I saw it. And that's that's all I can say about it. Yeah. But anyway, I I do have a lot of respect for Jess and for Russ Meyer. You mentioned him. And these are are some class people in the sport of coon hunting. Another guy that I owe a phone call to and I need to get back to him. Uh, that I used to talk to a lot is the young kid that hunted Tipper for Russ was Rusty Jones. And uh, did you ever meet Rusty? I think I drew Rusty one time on a little local PKC hunt just outside of Clinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If my memory is correct, he was hunting the Mike Tyson dog mm-hmm. in okay. a one hour hunt. He had 950 plus. <laughs> I had 925 plus. Oh, my goodness. You guys are random. It was absolutely crazy. Yeah. It was just a t- coon tree and clinic, you know, split tree back and forth. The coons were just moving that night. And oh, it's yeah. a, a hunt that I'll always remember. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, birds of the feather, you know, flock together, they say. And, uh, uh, that that whole group group right there, I, I really have a lot of respect and admiration for right. them. And the guys that got to go out to those Russ Meyer Invitationals just always said that was just the best time that they'd ever yes. had coon yeah. hunting. You know, so kind of wished. Of course, I wasn't in the well, heat of, and, you know, I wasn't and, and, competition Ru- hunting at that time. But uh, Russ took care of the crew. If you mm-hmm. traveled to, you know, to come up there. Uh, you know, he treated you like you were first class and, uh, yeah, just an amazing person, amazing place to go visit, you know? Um, but those memories will, you know, last forever for me. Absolutely. 
Well, okay, so now did you let's transition. You said this sure. was like 2001 when that you That was uh 2001 when I had the parachute accident. Yeah, well see it was 2004 in November that I went to work at AKC. And yep. actually was living in a in a um Oh, it's like a hotel, but it's uh, like a suites type thing there in Raleigh, and then moved into an apartment. I think. So you were... missed the New York AKC, right? See, New you, York you came when they moved to Raleigh. Yeah, New York uh, AKC uh, was experiencing problems hiring people, bringing them into New York City. It was expensive. All the you know, all the things you can imagine. Imagine, yes. And especially somebody involved with the coon hunting program. So when they they decided they wanted to get back into coon hunting and approached me about doing that job and finally did say I do in November of 2004 is when I moved down there and, and then didn't move the family down until like April, I believe. But that would have been like in 2005 when you – how did that happen? You you gave me a call, didn't you, Courtney? Well, I retired out of the Air Force in 2003, moved back to Washington State, Spokane area, had a really nice female that uh, was, you know, um, that I, I really, really liked. Um, but I wasn't able to coon hunt. And Eastern Washington, unlike Western Washington, had some coon, but I mean, it was not good. And they had in 1996, one of the reasons I moved away from there, they did away with all the bear hunting, lion hunting, you know, for, uh, you know, the, the big game folks, you guys remember initiative 655. So, um, you couldn't do that. And so the coon hunting wasn't that great. I had shipped my dogs or sold them you know, to friends back in Iowa, gave them buddy deals. But my goal, my objective was to get, you know, back into the coon hunting world. And uh, the opportunity for Fort Bragg opened up and uh, I was able to take my same job that I was doing as a government contractor in the SEER world and come out here to start up a program uh, at Fort Bragg. So, did that in 2006, and that's when you and I first got together. It was 2006. Okay. Well, I know my world was kind of in a whirlwind at that time with starting this new program with with yep. AKC and all that involvement, but uh, was really glad, you know, to, to be able to get out because I really, uh, at first, I met, uh, well, I knew Pete Holt. You know, Superman, uh, PKC, absolutely another legend, a, a legend for sure. Uh, uh, when I was at PKC, uh, the first time I went to the World Hunt in Aurora, PKC assigned me to room with Pete, and we shared a cabin there at Ken Oaks, just outside of uh, of the park. And what a jewel of a guy! And of course, you and I hunted with Pete. Uh, in in North Carolina too, and Pete um, is uh, is just a great guy, and and he went through some tragedy in his life since we were there, uh, Courtney with uh, 
you know, losing his daughter in an automobile accident. Uh, but Pete was just one of those really special guys, and I knew Pete, and he was, I guess I was keeping, Pete w- was keeping my female there when you and I got together. Right, yep. yeah. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, Old Kelly. Oh, yeah, Kelly. Stone stylish Kelly. <laughs> I know where we're moving to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that kind of, uh, we kind of have a little story about her too, but Kelly was a dog I enjoyed very much, and I had bought her after Silver Dottle Stone won the PKC World Hunt, and Molly Mill Creek Molly had been the uh, been the uh, national leader that year, and she became the all time money leader at that time in PKC. So had a lot of fun with Kelly, and you and I hunted Pete Kepner and hunted her some, yep. and. When I was working like that and kind of didn't have a place to to keep a dog, uh, I had to depend on friends. And man, uh, they can can be so important at those kind of times. Yes, and, absolutely. And just a big shout out to Pete. And Pete was kind of a big friend of uh, Buck Monroe, and those uh, you know Buck's dogs, uh, right. Kojak There's- and. Uh, uh, what was the other stud Southern dog? Sound, Southern, Southern Sound, Sound Kennels, yeah. Yep. I think uh, Buck was kind of over around Rocky Mound or somewhere over that way, maybe. You, you know what? When I came to, to Halo School in 96, I actually tried to, I think it was Whiteville, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, that's right, I think. And I drove down there to, to go see whether I could just, you know, run into them or I had no phone number or no nothing. And uh, but I drove through that area. And then I think I went down to uh, Darlington, South Carolina. I think they mm-hmm. were doing an RQE down there yeah. and yeah. went and hunted you know, or not hunted, but just fellowshiped with some of the South Carolina, North Carolina coon hunters mm-hmm. down there. Yeah, so. yeah. There's the thing I remember most about South or North Carolina was as I was with AKC and trying to enlist clubs to hold AKC events all through that state. I would travel to their on their meeting nights. Man, those people mm-hmm. feed. Man, they put on the feed bag when it's club yes, meeting they do. night. <laughs> I can't remember the nice, really nice guy down at Rockingham down there at that club. And uh, shoot, his name just won't come to me right now. But well, you had Lee Crisco. That's him. That's him. Okay. Yep. 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 Yeah, you hit Lee's him. He's the still first, there. First black shot. and tan guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, yeah. Then, that's that and, was. And Ben Moss is there, and now it's mm. Representative Ben Moss, North Carolina oh. Representative. Well, oh, that's awesome. so. Yes, and he's yeah. doing some good things, you know, for yeah. us and the houndsmen and some of the battles that you know. The hound people have to deal with, unfortunately, legislation-wise. Well, there's a number of things that I remember from. Well, the one thing that amazes me, Courtney, is you say this was in 2001 when you had this, uh, um, you know, injury, and here it is. It's barely five years, if that. That you know, and you were doing good in the woods, man. You, were, yeah, yeah. Eight, eight operations. They they had to basically go into my hip, do a, you know, uh, a 
pull up bone marrow, put it down into my uh, fibula, regenerate bone growth, and it worked. I had a great doctor out of Warrensburg, Missouri, that did a, a phenomenal job. I used to coach his uh, son in wrestling, and uh, he took care of me. So, you know, that, there's that wrestling coon hunt <laughs> thing coming all back together. It's so all intertwined, it isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you've had some pretty good success. Uh, I know I was always impressed with you as knowing a guy that knew Walker pedigrees and studied them. Uh, I always looked at you as a, as a real student of the breed. You were on top of what was going on around the Coonhound world always, it seemed to me, especially with the Walker dogs and all. What As a breeder, you know, what, what's kind of been your philosophy through the years of breeding dogs, Court? I want the complete dog. I want a, I, you know, since I've, you know, been involved with the, the shows and confirmation, uh, I've always loved a dual purpose. It doesn't have to be that way. I trust me. I've had some of the ugliest, fugly dogs that you can possibly imagine. I love a whitey dog, Clover, you know, and you, you might have a white face, calico ear, but to me, that's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I want a dog that's, uh, that's coon dog through and throughout. The entire lineage is very important. So, you know, if I am looking for a dog to breed to, I want to, I, you know, I, I really believe it's not just that stud dog, but it's that bitch. It's that mama dog and, you know, and, and how she's bred and I want a family of coon dogs all the way through when, when I'm looking for, you know, that right stud or, you know, that right cross to make with, with my bitch. Well, I think you've been fairly well connected. Fairly. I, I wouldn't say, you know, I've had, you know, tremendous success, but I've been fairly good at it. Well, I know you, you're pretty heavily invested back in some of those Iowa dogs. Yes. Uh, talk about that a little bit. Well, when I was in Missouri um, and, and hunting some dogs for Jess, I went up to, uh, well, actually, it goes back to Albuquerque. I am from Troy Ferrari and still, you know, ironically, I am still hunting a Troy Ferrari dog right now. So my main female, my personal female, goes back to Troy stuff. And so going all the way back to roughly uh, probably 1999, I got a female or actually a male dog from Troy that was off of, let's see, Wessels Wild. Casey. Uh, no, Wessels Wild Casey and his famous chick female right so uh ferrari's uh chick and chick was out of the famous iowa trump dog right it was and in the iowa, world hunt yes. in the final four the so year that chick Mike was, carmack wanted out in uh in cedar but, rapids iowa right yeah. but don sawyer out of fort dodge iowa had the trump dog five years in a row at the ukc world hunt placed fifth never lost a cast that year just didn't make the final four. Right. And, right. Uh, you, mm -hmm. you, you know, with today's format, you know, he, he may have been the world champion. But uh, 
So you had Troy Ferrari that had the chick female and you had Travis Adrian that had the Roxy female. Chick and Roxy were sisters. They were both out of Iowa uh, Trump and Mm -hmm. Bears American Yuki, Russ Bears uh, Yuki female. And that was a famous cross and really produced, you know, great females that really reproduced really well. And Mm -hmm. that uh, Roxy herself reproduced a world champion, ACHA Cheeks Hack, Doug Cheeks' Hack Dog. That you remember yeah. Doug Cheek, I'm oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Yep, yep. So Doug was were, always, you know, let me interrupt there and, and throw yep, a few, another bouquet of flowers. Uh, Doug Cheek and, and Mike Copeland, I, I, th- I believe it was Copeland, in uh, oh, Columbia City, Indiana, were always team judges when we had the world hunt up in those years. Those were back in the Pac-Man, Beaver Lake Magic uh, years you know great great guy great judge they did a really good job judging for me year after year so just throw a little shout out to my old buddy doug cheek yeah go ahead absolutely well the old iowa trump dog goes back to paul greg stuff and john wick stuff Mm -hmm. so you know uh went back you know to that original banjo breeding greg stylish banjo Mm-hmm. And so we're real strong in that, but they also had that preacher. And, That's what I was going to say. Trump, Trump dog looked was like preacher, preacher colored. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Yep. And um, the Roxy female, she was Trump colored. So back in Missouri, I ended up getting a female and I called, I got her from Travis Adrian. She was out of the, his old Buckeye dog and a bitch that he that was off of uh, Stylish Harry and Roxy by the name of Heidi. And um, extremely easy, started at five months old. Cordell trained her when I was off in Afghanistan. And long story short, she ended up placing 19th in the 2008 UKC World Hunt. And she was a really, really nice dog. Well, I named her Iowa style and that, you know, kind of going back off the Iowa Trump, but it's also kind of a wrestling spin off of Dan Gable, Dan Gable, you know, style of Iowa wrestlers when they won 19 uh, national championships, you know, they, they call that and still today the Iowa style. So Mm -hmm. anytime I had a dog from the Iowa area where it was bred, uh, you know, with that, you know, lineage, I always called it Iowa style. Yeah. So I took Kelly to get her bread. I call Al Nunneman. So back to your old Kelly female, I was living in North Carolina. I had Kelly, you, you know, let me have her for a while. And I took her to get uh, Al Nunneman said, make an uncle niece cross. So breed her to, uh, Mr. Smith mm-hmm. and world champ, two-time world champion, Mr. Smith. I think, you know, you were working at AKC. He was an AKC world champion. Two times. And I went, yeah. I went and hunted with Mr. Smith and absolutely 
was blown away, you know, <laughs> with his coontrine ability. I think he's one of the most underrated dogs in history. Of Absolutely. Sport. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, at that time, there was a dog that the guy that was actually uh, had Mr. Smith, it was Josh Coles. Remember Darius and Josh Coles mm -hmm. out in Nebraska. So yeah, they Josh bought the dog in, later on. Yes. Yeah. They, they, you know, uh, and I'm not going to go into detail, but there was some money. They, they were going out and buying all these, you know, big name stud dogs. And they had this dog that they were wanting to sell by a name of Drifter that Josh had been hunting. And brother Darius said, no, 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 he's not going to fit our, you know, breeding program. He's not a big enough name. So, uh, they just bought two-time world champion, uh, Mr. Smith, right. and um, they, uh, but Josh was literally in tears. Now, Josh was a linebacker for Nebraska University when they won two national championships, played for Dr. Tom Osborne. He was a big <laughs> guy. And to mm. see him almost in tears talking about this dog, and but it was out of a cross that I'd been wanting so bad for years. And it, guess what it went back to? Jess Dickerson, Skipper Dog, mm -hmm. which is litter mate to, to Tipper. Right. So uh, anyway, long story short, I ended up tracking that dog after it left Nebraska, went to Ohio and uh, to Larry Weaver's place. They had worked out a trade and, mm -hmm. uh, Old Drifter was there. I called uh, Larry and uh, worked a deal to uh, guest stead him on out. And uh, I was absolutely in love with that pedigree and how he was bred. And I knew that he was going to reproduce. So, uh, and that's about some of the same time that you and I were hunting towards right. the tail end, I believe. Yep, yep, for sure. Another but, shout out there, Larry Weaver, a name you bring up, one of the true <laughs> class gentlemen in the sport. Kuhn. Yes, he was. Yep. And, enjoyed a yeah. real, Lindell Price and I enjoyed a really nice thanks, uh, post Thanksgiving hunt uh, there uh, when I was living in Raleigh. We went up and hunted with, uh, with Larry and uh, Nathan, his son. His son, Nathan, is now a bullfighter. Uh, As like, a bullfighter, yeah. Like Shorty Gorham and that kind of thing, you know, rodeo. <laughs> you used to call them rodeo clowns way back. But right. I thought, man, who, <laughs> that boy, <laughs> he he likes to play it close, I see. But anyway, just great folks. I, I'm just reminded. Absolutely. I've been so blessed, Courtney, down through the years with so many uh, great acquaintances and friends. and. Well, so Drifter now. Drifter was the dog that you were just high as the sky on when I left I was Raleigh. high, yes. Tell me about him. Well, it's High Plains Drifter. Uh, Drifter being directly off of uh, Nocturnal Skipper and uh, the, the Unforgiven Page. Uh Had brothers that were Grand Knights, had sisters that were Grand Knights. His entire lineage was just a family of coon dogs and went back to the uh, old, uh, the Iowa Roxy that uh, Travis Adrian had. And so everything kind of came together with stuff that I've always had. And believe it or not, Drifter 
was uh, raised uh, uh, a portion in Warrensburg, Missouri, where I had lived previously. And he was raised by a young man, Zach McBee. For those that, uh, you know, current in the coon hunting world, all know Zach McBee is probably one of the hottest uh, trainers, uh, breeders in the country right now, um, and handlers. And uh, so uh, even when Zach was a teenager, a high school boy, he raised and trained, you know, this top dog, made him Grand Knight champion, made him a PKC champion, was winning all around uh, the Missouri and uh, area. But when he went off to college, Zach being a smart young man, went off to uh, Central Missouri uh, State uh, University in Warrensburg. He decided to sell half of uh, Drifter. And so long story short, Drifter went to, from him to Ryan Houghton to the Cole brothers out in Nebraska to Larry Weaver in Ohio and then to me in North Carolina. And I just saw this gym, you know, that's being passed up in the breeding world with that pedigree that he, that he comes back to. So um, I started doing a little bit of breeding with him and ran him as a uh, stud dog. We didn't breed. I mean, I still don't think he has 100 puppies, but we're well over 10% uh, night champions and grand nights. So he did really re reproduce really well. Um, a dear friend of, I think, both of ours, and you probably knew his father, uh, Paul Ryder, but Daryl Ryder uh, sent a grand night female that was Brett Myers bred out of uh, the old half-breed Jesse female mm -hmm. by the name of Half-Breed Joey. And Half-Breed Joey uh, was bred to Drifter and reproduced a really nice male dog that I still have in my pen today who's going to be 10 years, uh, 10 years old next month. And uh, his name is Belly Buster. So, uh, <laughs> half breed belly buster. So, yeah. uh, buster, I've always had dual grands. I told you, I like a dual purpose, but, uh, once, you know, uh, buster re retired at an early age from the hunts, uh, because of, uh, you know, our, our favorite thing named disease and thyroid, uh, it became a mess there. Mm. Um, and he was sterile on top of it. So, uh, so he's just living the good life here in North Carolina and Southern Pines, but I also started water racing him and he ended up winning the North Carolina state water race a couple years in a row, uh, took second in the AKC, uh, world water race. So <laughs> he, he is a swimming fool. That's but, cool. Uh, well, we yeah. got uh, uh, we got a plot dog over there up and coming that really loves to churn that water. So maybe we we'll get a mm -hmm. chance to <laughs> compare them sometime. Courtney, this has been an awesome conversation. We've been at it about an hour and forty five minutes already, but uh, there's just so much to talk about, and and I definitely want to get you back on the program. Absolutely. But, you know, uh, you went through uh, a, another health challenge here recently. Tell me about that. Well, 1997 
you know, I told you I was a test parachutist for the military and I had a few bad landings, uh, you know, as everybody. And it's not a matter of if you get hurt, it's a matter of when and how bad. So, but in 1997, I was sent down to San Antonio to have back surgery and, uh, long story short, never had it. And I was able to put it off for 30 plus years. And, uh, but you know, it, it got to the point where I just couldn't deal with it anymore. So last year, June 1st and June 3rd, I had back to back back surgery. I had the big decompression fusion, you know, in the hospital for eight days. And, you know, I have not been in the woods, uh, for a long time. So I kind of feel like I'm hanging on, you know, with the, in the coonhound world by a thread right now. But uh, I'm hoping to get back in there. I'm hoping to get my uh, feet back under, but I'm having some nerve issues. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have any regrets. I would do my military career all over again, you know. Um, but, you know, older we get, sometimes we, we have to deal with new challenges. And that's kind of my new challenge is dealing with my back and and uh, so uh, going up to Duke here, uh, about two hours and having another uh, uh, epidural nerve block uh, shot in my back under a CAT scan. And that's about the fifth time I've had that procedure. So <laughs> we're still working it. <laughs> well, you, you strike another uh, chord with me when you say Duke. And I tell people all of the time, those people saved my life. That was you know, when right. I was in Raleigh yes. and I had the heart issue. Uh, out coon hunting, of course, <laughs> with Kelly, the female yep, we mentioned, with Kelly, yes. and had those old heart or those old chest pains, and ended up doing a double bypass there at Duke University. Doctor Peter Smith, who was the head of the thoracic surgery there, and they just treated me great, and and I'm still kicking. That was 2006, and look here, man, that's about 18 years ago, and or yes. 16 years ago or so. So, anyway, um, best of luck to you, Courtney. And uh, well, I know I've absolutely enjoyed this. Yeah, well, I'm glad you did, and I wanted to just briefly. I know we lost our our dear Melina. And um, cancer, such a terrible thing. But you have a new lady in your life, Melissa, right? Melissa, absolutely. Yeah. Tell she us is a, a bit about she is Melissa. A, uh, <laughs> a, a dog lover, but, you know, after well over, uh, you know, uh, after losing Melina, you know, which was, you know, the love of my life, uh, raised seven kids, uh, 11 grandkids together. Uh, you've been to, you know, some of the bigger shows and hunts, you know, you saw me, you probably saw her on my side and it's the same way with Melissa. It's like Melissa just kind of took right on over. Uh, Melissa is a dog mama, very neurotic dog mama, (laughs) uh, very, very protective. And she's got, you know, a Uh walker hound that's, you know, the biggest hound I've ever owned. He's 92 pounds, just, you know, beautiful dog. And she's got him in obedience class and gotten him mm-hmm. sitting and laying and, you know, oh, walking, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, that's I great. mean, perfect. Like, you know, you know, almost like a border collie. Well, so, you know, God knows our hearts and he knows what we need and he brings people into yes. our lives. And I could uh, sit here and talk an hour about Ella 
and what a what a tremendous asset she's been to my life. And she's a dog person too. I mean, she tolerates the coon hounds, but right now her love is a little miniature dachshund named Louie. And uh, so anyway, I had to go all the way up to Greencastle, Indiana, and get Louie <laughs> at Christmas time. But uh, right. But yeah. So, we, but no, I I just I, I I feel blessed, Steve, and I appreciate you bringing up Molina. I know you were there. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, had a great relationship with Melina. Absolutely. Uh, you were there for me, you know, during her passing, and you know, well, you uh, guys were there for me. That. Yeah, you yep. guys were there for me. You know, when I made the move to Florida from North Carolina, and, and that's all what friends that. do. But you know, Courtney, I'll say this real briefly and all because I don't want to choke up here, but. Outside of my own family, I don't know that I ever met a, a, a more delightful person in my life than Melina. So we'll cherish her memory forever, and I know you, you so much more than I even. But, uh, Courtney, it's been delightful to have you on, buddy. I mean, this has been a great conversation, and I know we could talk for hours, uh, but we'll we'll push the button here to stop this thing uh, just in a second, but thank you so much. I, I'll be monitoring your progress there. Uh, you got too much invested, in, and I know you love it too much to get out of coon hunting already. I hope that these procedures, uh, you know, do what they're supposed to do for you. And uh, just wish you the best. If I get back up to Carolina, I'll definitely look you up. Like I said, we got this plot pup over at uh, our mutual friend Mark Miller's over there in yep. Taylorsville. So if I get up that far to hunt this fall, uh, I'll look you up. I know Mark's got a spare room for me that I stay in, and <laughs> I got a spare room for him to stay in, and I got a spare room for you and Ella to stay in. So uh, if you do get up this way, we would love to have you. Well, Courtney, thank you so much, and we'll, and we'll try our best to do that. And that same thing goes back at you, fellow, when you find your way down here to the beaches of West Florida, or out, actually central West Florida. All right, folks, that's a wrap for this week of Gone to the Dogs. And, uh, uh, you know, if somebody should ask you, where's Old Field or what's he doing these days, just tell them he's gone to the dogs. Yeah.